Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 132 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I'm not going to take too long with today's introduction because the interview is already a little on the long side considering how much we really need to talk about to get an idea of what Jessica's story is. I do want to take a minute, though, for a couple of items. First of all, I want to thank those of you who have donated to our fundraising campaign. We have actually reached over $1,000, which is really exciting. That helps pay for three months of the Always Andy's Mom podcast. So I appreciate that a lot. Again, if you'd like to donate, you can go to my webpage or you can text. Just listen to the instructions at the end of the podcast. The second thing I need to do is to profusely apologize because two days ago, I was supposed to do a question and answer live stream with last week's guest, Jamie, who was awesome. We even have some kind of charts together and things like that. And the day kind of fell apart on Tuesday. I have been doing some volunteer work with some new refugees, and I lost track of time and was too far away and couldn't make it back to my computer before Jamie ended up having to go to work. So we are going to reschedule. It is 100% my fault. I feel terrible, but we're rescheduling and plan to do that this coming Saturday, March 26th, again at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. on the West Coast. So look for that. Please bring any questions you have to Jamie, whether it involves addiction or yoga or exercise or keeping your body kind of healthy during the grieving process, whatever it is, she's just a great resource. If you don't have time to listen live, just know that you can go to my Facebook page or YouTube channel and see a recording later as well. If this goes well, I really hope to have more question answer sessions, maybe even with today's guest, and you will see why when you listen because Nancy is pretty amazing, and she's got a really special connection with another guest that I had on earlier in the year. Now just sit back and enjoy listening to Nancy, Jessica's mom. Thank you so much, Nancy, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast and telling us about your daughter, Jessica. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to get to hear more about her and to talk to you about her in person because actually I feel like I know quite a bit about her. So just to let my audience know, Nancy is a producer of the Bereaved But Still Me podcast where the host Michael, Liel's dad, was just on the program in January. So if you've all heard Michael... And about that podcast, here is Nancy, one of the behind-the-scenes people in the podcast. And I just recently learned that she was the first episode for season one, season two, 
and season three, which makes me feel exceptionally honored because I was the first guest for season six. So now I feel like, (laughs) wow, because I had a lot to live up to because she opened three different episodes. So if you want to hear more about Nancy and Jessica's story, you can go to Bereaved But Still Me and listen to those three episodes. But I encourage you to listen anyway, because they do some really amazing work. Well, thank you. And what's another interesting thing, I think, is that Michael, whom I just love, I just felt such a kinship to him, says when he talks about you, he said it on the podcast, he thanked you because when Liel died, you were the one he turned to. And he felt like you helped him through that process more than he could ever thank you for. So I think that's saying a lot about you and the amazing person that you are. So I just can't wait to hear more from you. Yeah, I love Michael too. We've been friends for over 20 years and it was a privilege to be there for him. It was just over two years after Jessica had passed away. I love to offer support wherever I can. That's that's living in the hospital, actually, I realized that there wasn't a whole lot I could do except to comfort my daughter through all of her illnesses and procedures and surgeries. Mm-hmm. But to talk to other moms and offer them hope and support, that made me feel good. That made me feel like I was actually doing something mm-hmm. positive with that time that we spent there. So that's something that I've really, I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And I know you have continued to help that congenital heart disease community, as well as now the bereaved parent community. So you've done some amazing things. And we will get to that later. But now (laughs) we need to talk about your sweet Jessica. Yeah. Oh, my. So I had a two-year-old. My husband was in school full-time, working two or three jobs. We had no insurance. And Miss Jessica was diagnosed at two weeks old with congestive heart failure. She almost didn't make it through the night. And all of a sudden they were telling me if she doesn't have surgery tonight, she could die. And then all these things were wrong. We had no idea. I couldn't even grasp what what they were telling me. And Mm -hmm. I knew she was sick. I'd taken her in several times. And finally, somebody figured that out. But she didn't have a direct connection between her heart and lungs. That's kind of important. Yes. So yeah. she had total of nine heart defects, not just in the heart, but also the pulmonary arteries and blood vessels and such. So it's a big, long, complicated thing. Mm-hmm. But then they came and told us at uh, one o'clock in the morning go home, get some sleep. We're not doing surgery tonight. We're like, but you said she could die. Oh, she developed all these collaterals, blood vessels. It's amazing what they can do because, you know, you say there's no direct connection, but there ends up being connections, right? They develop these. mm -hmm, Right. And before mm -hmm. she even needed her lungs, her body knew to grow these collaterals, but it came off the aorta. So she had big hole in between the two ventricles, all the blood mixed in there went up through the aorta and these blood vessels from the aorta went out to the lungs. So all the oxygenated and unoxygenated blood mixed. So she was really blue. 
And finally, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, why don't you tell me purple is blue? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like, I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> I know. But anyway, yeah, so they ended up not doing surgery until she was five months old. Because wow. she was in congestive heart failure. And they wanted her to, you know, lose that extra fluid and get her heart pumping better before they did surgery. And then you just want to give them the best chance that you can gain every ounce she could. And I actually feel like we waited a little bit too long because Mm -hmm. she had and it might have happened no matter when we did it. But she had a blood clot break off and go to the brain in the speech area of the brain during her for surgery when she was five months old yeah so she was having seizures and her right side was weak like she tried mm-hmm. to reach up to grab a bottle and she just couldn't so her her left side became her strong side and this is back quite a long time ago why should we should say this that? was in 1988 i know a yeah. long time ago yes. long before they <laughs> i have to tell you this, th- I was in middle school at that point. So this is a long time ago. <laughs> that well, I is, couldn't be your mother. The heart then, surgeries and things are much more advanced. I mean, they developed even by the time I got to medical school. And then since I've been in medical school, it's continued to get better and better and better. So, you know, we do yeah. have to take all this with a little bit of grain of salt that this was a different time than we're in right now. It was a different time. However, mm-hmm. it's still the same surgery. It's still the same surgery. They might have developed better techniques, but they still would have. And what they did is they put a shunt between the aorta and the pulmonary artery. Up until then, the pulmonary artery had no blood through it, going through it at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it was extremely narrow all the way through. Then later, they did another test and they found out that the pulmonary artery only branched out to one third of each lung. So those collaterals were extremely important because you need the function at least one full lung and she didn't even have that right. from the branches from the pulmonary artery and the shunt was to force blood through there to, to make it open up mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then we did therapy either at home or went somewhere and when she got a little older she was having really difficult time trying to form words yeah. And so we taught her sign language. So, of course, I had to learn sign language. And here, right. here this poor baby is, <laughs> one years old, trying to communicate, trying to form fingers with oh. hands that have had a stroke, that don't mm-hmm. have enough oxygen getting to the brain. <laughs> right. So she had her own sign. Poor thing. Mm-hmm. And I swear, she was like Helen Keller. Her very first sign was baby. Okay. Oh, she could hear so she could understand us. Her very uh-huh. first sign was baby. And she had a baby doll that she absolutely loved. And she picked it up and hugged it and put it down and signed baby. And we said, yes. And she was so excited. She hugged it. And then she wanted to know what mommy is. Very uh-huh. next thing. But, you know, mommy. So we taught her mom. And she picked that up and she hugged me. And then she started grabbing things. She wanted to know what's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? And, you know, if I didn't know and I didn't have it in a book, well, she made it up and that's what it was. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> By the time she was two, she could sign over 80 words. Wow. That's awesome. Incredible. You, know, you don't even have to have 80 verbal words as a two-year-old to be considered normal. You know, you don't even have to be able to speak 80 words. Right, so right. So for her to be able to sign 80 words is amazing. Mm-hmm. The speech mm-hmm. pathologist and I sat down and we started writing down all the words that she could sign. Wow. And we couldn't believe it was over 80 words. And yeah. so she was extremely impressive mm-hmm. and tenacious. And if there was a word that she couldn't say, and she knew she didn't have the right sound, she'd say it mm-hmm. again and again and again and again and again and again, and again just that fast. And I have to say, Jesse, calm down. She's getting blue because she's talking so fast, you know. <laughs> and she, she got it. And then, yeah. of course, when she started talking, we couldn't make her shut up. Man, she would talk and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> yeah, so she just was slow to get it. And it took a lot of effort to do it. But once she got it, she got to it. actually form the words right, to get the mm-hmm. tongue to move right, to get all that. And yeah, once she got it, she got it, man. And one time I asked her, Jesse, why do you talk so much? She goes, because it's what I do best, right, mommy? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is what you do best. That's true. And I just keep so thinking, sweet. you know, from scriptures, boy, this is an example of God making our weaknesses our strength. Right. You right. Know? Absolutely. I mean, you thought for a time that she may never speak. Oh, that's what they told us. Yeah. That because of how hard it was for her to learn to talk, she probably would not. Right. Or if she did, it would be difficult to understand. Maybe you would Mm -hmm. be the only one to Mm -hmm. understand her. And then that ended up not being the case at all. Not the case at all. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, I want you to move on a little bit to the second surgery, because I think so a lot of times when you have kids like this, they need series of surgeries. And you that's right. And you know that you know that from the beginning. So you know, you're going to be doing one, and then you have to do another and then it's it's planned out. So but the second surgery was a big deal. Right. For well, well, first, let me explain. In the very beginning, they told us, she's going to have to have multiple surgeries. And we may get to a point where there's not anything else we can do. Mm-hmm. So I always knew she will probably really be sick. And I always had the feeling she's probably going to go before me. Right. But the second surgery, what had happened is she had outgrown her shunt mm-hmm. and she was getting more and more blue um, and short of breath. And, you know, so all they did was replace the shunt that was there before. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even the next step in a series. It was, well, we need to replace the shunt and we need that pulmonary artery to grow or we can't do complete repair. Mm-hmm. And so they took her into surgery. And what we didn't know, but what the surgeon told us later, is that they knew that the shunt was extremely close to her sternum. And when they cut the sternum, they cut the shunt. So all that blood was hemorrhaging outward. It took them seven to eight minutes to get her on bypass. And it took hours and hours and hours to stop the bleeding. She had excessive scar tissue and all of that started hemorrhaging. And when they finally 
brought her up. They told us. And here again, it's in the middle of the night. They told us, go home and get some rest. It's going to take several hours for them to clean her up enough to where you can see her. Wow. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. even a couple of months later, there was a lady in our church who is on the surgeon, who was on the surgeon's staff. And she says they are still talking about how she should have died during that surgery. Yeah. Well, over the next several days, unfortunately, she started having seizures. And then Mm -hmm. four days after surgery, we got a phone call that um, they found an infection in her blood that had the potential to make all her cells leak. And she may not survive that. But hopefully, hopefully they caught in time. And then another phone call saying she started hemorrhaging again. She's lost one third of her blood volume in the last four hours. You need to come and spend her last hours with her. Wow. Because if we do surgery, she probably won't make it. Mm-hmm. So we went to the hospital fully expecting to say goodbye. Our bishop from our church came and talked to us and prayed with us and we knew we would tell her if we felt like we were supposed to or if they took her into surgery. And the surgeon just said, something's not right. We're not going to take her in for surgery. We have an OR waiting. We're doing blood tests every 15 minutes. But her blood count is mm-hmm. fine. And he couldn't figure that out because of all the blood she had lost. Right. And I, I should say that before we went to the hospital, we prayed, thy will be done, fully expecting for her to die. And when both of us got to the point where we could just say, thy will be done, she turned the corner and she quit hemorrhaging all on her own. And wow. the surgeon, you know, it took several hours for that to happen. It just slowed down. The output just slowed down and slowed down to where it was normal. And the surgeon said, a power far greater than ours saved your daughter today. We did nothing. We just stood around and watched a miracle. And just amazing. That was incredible. Well, it took over a week for her to be able to come off the ventilator. Mm-hmm. And I should say she was almost three years old at that point. I don't think we mentioned that. Oh, but yeah. sorry about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, she had just turned three. She had just turned yeah, three. Just turned three, right. Yeah, she just yeah. turned three and was a chatterbox at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> was walking and, and stuff, you know. So then when she came off the ventilator, taking off the ventilator, it was actually my husband that noticed. He says, she's blind. We had been in the hospital visiting her and we came home and he says, she's blind. I'm like, no, she's not. Wait a minute. Is she? Mm-hmm. We had, the, the nurse had taken two Polaroid pictures of her. And one, she was looking right at the camera. Well, actually, she had given me the camera. And I just kind of remembered having to follow her eyes to, to get take it. the picture to where she was looking at the camera. Oh, my gosh, you're right. So they had specialist neuro-ophthalmologists come in, and sure enough, she had, oh, by the way, she'd had another stroke that had Mm -hmm. affected four new areas of the brain, and two were in the back that control the vision, and they didn't believe she would 
because the damage was so bad, apparently, that she would ever regain her eyesight. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know what? I've been able to help her with all of her other problems and being developmentally delayed and everything. We got this. I was just worried about her emotionally being able to handle being blind. And every day we would walk in and not say anything. And she would start to panic because she didn't know who was coming into the room until we said Jesse. And then she knew it was us. And the day I finally got to hold her, she had tried to throw her hand away and almost jumped out of the bed trying to get away from her hand when she put it up to her mouth. And I don't know what she saw. Maybe she saw a monster. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. she was terrified of it. And I was holding her and she just was unconsolable. And I thought up to this point, no matter what we went through, I could always console her. She always took comfort in me. And so I thought, gosh, here is this poor little girl who's being held by someone who smells like mommy, who sounds like mommy, who feels like mommy, but looks like a monster. Mm -hmm. I just, oh, it just killed me. So I wrenched my back (laughs) trying to help her and I was so upset and my husband had to work so I went home and I had a prayer and I told God I said I have done everything you've asked me to do I've given up everything for this child and I will continue to do this and I've walked the halls in the hospital I've done therapy with her and I will take care of her blind as long as you allow her to be with me all I ask is for her to be comforted And I had this peaceful feeling just wash over me, peace and love and comfort. And I just enjoyed it for a while. And then I got up and I called the hospital. And they said, you know, she's just calmed down in the last 10 minutes. She's doing really well. And later on, I called and, oh, she's eating. And I'm like, she's eating. Wow. Yeah, she's, she hasn't been upset since she called before. And later in the middle of the night, I called. Oh, she's doing so well. They're talking about moving her out of ICU, out on the floor. And I'm like, no, <laughs> she gets more care in ICU. No. <laughs> oh, no, it's a good thing they tell me. And I'm like, well, yeah, that means she's doing better. But she needs that care when I'm not there. <laughs> So the next day, sure enough, they were moving her into a room and it was a double bedroom. She was alone, but she was in the second bed. And my husband and I walk in, she turns around and she cries out, mama. And I ran to her and picked her up and we both just cried. She could see me from across the room. She could recognize me. I thought all I asked is that she be comforted. Mm Mm-hmm. So you got miracle number two. Well, mm-hmm. that was probably a hundred and two. Well, probably <laughs> but so. Major, but in a, major, in a, right? Very in a short, short amount of time. of time, right? In one hospitalization, absolutely. And mm-hmm. you know, after she had stopped hemorrhaging and she was stable, the thought occurred to me: 
who knew it was God's will that she would live? I assumed his will would be that she would die. Mm -hmm. And God knew that in our hearts that that's what we meant, that if it's her time to go, and every time I thought I'm going to have to pick out a small casket tomorrow, the anxiety would go through the roof. And I think, no, I can't think about that. Just one moment at a time. Right. And I'd pray and I'd feel that comfort. Oh, I still had anxiety. <laughs> but I knew that God would help me through it. Mm -hmm. And she regained everything that she had lost. She had to relearn how to sit up. She had to relearn how to crawl. She had to relearn how to walk. She had to relearn how to all kinds of things. Her eyesight wasn't perfect. She still had a hard time tracking things and stuff, but her eyesight came back. And she did need glasses, but heck. <laughs> That's okay. Even with a three-year-old, we can deal with glasses better than being blind. I mean, I had even called ASDB which is the Arizona School for the Deaf and Blind, Oh, mm -hmm. to find out what resources they had to offer. Because I was determined, I'm going to take care of this baby girl right. however I can. Mm -hmm. And that, that little girl, she was so tenacious and so sweet and lovable. Let's talk about that a little bit. And Henri. I want to talk about her personality. <sighs> Oh, I yeah. I want to talk about her sure. personality and what she was like then. Oh, man. <laughs> so, very stubborn, tenacious. <laughs> so, and a little later we'll talk about it, but I ended up having three boys and one girl. <laughs> Since she didn't have much control over her life, we let her have control over her room, which was a pigsty, which the door <laughs> would get slammed. <laughs> Which we could hear when a brother would go in, get out of my room. <laughs> but she just kind of, when she finally reached the stage of like six, seven, eight-year-old, mm -hmm. she stayed there for the rest of her life till mm -hmm. she was 22. Her, her kind of maturity level. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. So she was cognitively mm -hmm. delayed and the two strokes didn't help oh and she had the george syndrome okay yeah that goes with multiple heart things we found know. out later mm -hmm. through a genetic mm -hmm. study but yeah yeah it can so she stayed at that level and her younger brothers there was one five years younger and one seven years younger than her and they all mm -hmm. just kind of caught up to her level and then surpassed her level but they would play with what they called gi joe's because the little yeah. boys had the little G.I. Joes. I would buy her the little dolls that were about the same size. And her daddy made dollhouse for her. And they would get their G.I. Joes, as they said in the beginning, <laughs> out. And they would play together <laughs> at bedtime. <laughs> They'd start getting along playing at bedtime. And then mom didn't want to send them to bed because they were getting along. <laughs> But um, no, she was so sweet. When I would go to her IEP meetings um, with her school and I ask, you know, is she real stubborn? Is she, you know, does she throw a temper tantrum or anything? They're like, are we talking about the same girl? <laughs> she is so sweet and she was timid and shy. And, 
you know, if anybody acted up, she just, oh, it hurt her soul. Even at home. Oh, yeah, she could yell, but she didn't carry on, you know. She would just yell and then it would be over. But Mm -hmm. if anybody yelled, oh, it just hurt her soul. And so we had to learn how to resolve our issues very quickly. Mm -hmm. Or we'd have a blue child crying, getting bluer by the second. Yes. But she was very emotionally, I don't know, just very tenderhearted. Mm-hmm. And her anxiety and depression would peak at night in the middle of the night. So I'd have to be up with her at night, late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was an example of her trying to help others. She wanted to help others so much. We were, went to this clinic for dental care that was for children with congenital, congenital issues. So you know, whatever issues they were, they were born with. And so a lot of them were cognitively delayed or, you know, whatever they might Mm -hmm. have different things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she got in the dental chair and she had always been so terrified of anybody putting anything, especially those sharp instruments in the mouth. Oh, that's so scary. Well, she decided this one time and she was probably only about 11 or 12. And of course, at the level of a six, seven year old. Mm -hmm. And she got up there and she goes, mommy, I'm going to open my mouth really big and wide. You're going to be so proud of me. And she did. And she let them look in there and stuff. And then, but there were, there were two chairs in that same room and they didn't do any procedures in that room. They just did the oral examination. Mm -hmm. And this other little girl, much younger than Jessica was in the chair next to her uh you know it was a few feet away sure and her mom was with her and jessica says oh she's so cute isn't she can i say hi i said sure you should be able to say hi so she goes hi and waves to her and she waved back was a little shy and then she says look what a pretty dress and she goes and her mom's like, say thank you. And she barely whispers thank you. And then Jessica turns to me and she goes, Mommy, I helped, huh? I said, oh. Yes, you did. You helped her. And for days she would talk about, Mommy, I helped that little girl, didn't I? I said, Yes, you did. You helped her. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sweet. She wanted to be the grown up helper because she, she was did. bigger. Mm-hmm. She did. Speaking of which, I want to take a quick minute to tell about there is a, um, organization here in tucson called tu nidito which means your little nest Uh and it was founded by a woman whose son passed away and they offer support for families with children with life-threatening illnesses and they offer bereavement support for children in their families who have lost a loved one Mm -hmm. so we were in that group the um, chronic illness group for 12 years we were at the very first meeting that they ever had and Jessica loved 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 to go well when she became a teenager they they separate the kids in the littles the middles and the teens so she wanted to go with her brothers to the teen group but then she came out and said I don't understand what they're talking about so they told her Hey, Jessica, you know what? How about you be a helper in the middles group? Mm 
So she, oh, she was so excited. Mommy, I'm a helper. And so she went back to the middles group and she was a helper in the middles group. And she would talk and talk, talk about how, who she helped and stuff. What a sweetie. Yeah. Yeah, she was. So let's go back to some of her medical issues then. So I know over time, we have talked earlier about the fact that she ended up needing to be on oxygen and she needed wheelchair just because things were just too difficult for her to be able to, you know, breathe and walk at the same time. And right. Right. She couldn't get enough blood to her lungs. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was a difficult thing. So she was in a motorized wheelchair and on oxygen all the time. And so (laughs) at home we had a, a long tubing so she could walk around the house and mm-hmm. a concentrator. She'd take off walking and not even care where the tubing went. It would get caught and she'd yell for somebody to come and help her. Because <laughs> as she walked all the way back, look at all that energy she would be spinning, right? <laughs> I can't walk all that way back. So, <laughs> and if somebody Mom, didn't come me. running right away, Sometimes she'd just throw the oxygen down and keep on going. (laughs) And so one time I said, Jesse, you know, most of my appliances, when they come unplugged, they stop working, but you don't, you just keep walking. She just laughed. Oh, mommy. (laughs) We joked about a lot of that, but yeah, we'd have to untangle the oxygen. She heard probably, Jesse, sit down. You're getting blue more times than you could count by her brothers, by her dad, by her mom, by anyone who would know her (laughs) but I love that she just had the little spirit that it didn't matter to her you know no Uh, well we we always had big birthday parties we never knew Mm -hmm. when was going to be her last one right so we'd invite everybody from Tunidito from our church from her school from just neighbors and it's so funny because this one friend of mine said that he was standing there talking to Jessica and she was standing and she was talking and talking, talking. And he later told his wife, he goes, she was turning all different colors of purple. I didn't know what to do. (laughs) And I said, tell him to tell her, sit down, Jesse and rest. You're getting blue. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, now I want you to talk about the silly socks. Because we talked a little bit about being in a support group, and, and this is a different yeah. kind of support group. And, and I think the Silly Socks is pretty cool. Yeah, so back in, I believe it was year 2000, mm-hmm. we could finally afford the internet, yay, and a computer <laughs> that could handle the internet, yay. So, um, and, and I had my qualms about mm, internet, you know. And then one of my sisters told me, you know, I bet you could find a support group. I'm like, mm-hmm. ooh, yay, internet. <laughs> right. And so I found a group, and they were a worldwide support group. They they no longer exist, but they were extremely important to me. Mm-hmm. And it was a listserv and however you say it. Yeah, listserv. Emails, mm-hmm. emails mm-hmm. would come through. So I just kind of was reading about other people for a while 
before I introduced our story. Mm-hmm. Now, our story, which actually we haven't touched on yet, but real quick, Jessica had five heart surgeries. So number three, four, and five were all within three years' time. And I had two babies during that time and was on bed rest <laughs> each time. So yay. <laughs> Don't know what we were doing. But after her second surgery, we were told that she would not ever be able to have complete repair because those pulmonary arteries had not grown at all and were referred to as spaghetti. That's how mm-hmm. small they were. And she'd had all these collaterals. But anyway, so surgery number five was to take down a conduit that they had put between the pulmonary artery and right ventricle, which she had never had before. But they had to take it down. And so, well, because it was pulling blood from the lungs into the right ventricle. Right. It was and working um, backwards. It was working backwards. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So she did not get back to where she was before, before they'd put the mm-hmm. conduit in. And at that point, she had to be put on oxygen 24-7. But anyway, so we knew she was not going to survive. Uh, we knew they actually told us she could die because of um, she, she'd get an infection and her heart wouldn't be able to handle it and, or she would get too blue to survive and most kids living off shunts like she did don't survive past their mid-teens and she was six at the time so maybe 10 years but most kids weren't as sick as she was or hadn't gone through as much as she had so you know it was a devastating blow so anyway I found this support group and I thought we've been through strokes. We've been through collapsed lungs. We've been through all these different things, all these surgeries, all these, I could probably help other people. Right. I bet I could help a lot of other people. So I finally told our story and I did say that she was terminally ill and she was getting much more blue and we were hoping that she would survive till Christmas. Mm-hmm. I believe this was in the summer. Yeah. that I had um, finally written and oh my gosh all the love and support yeah. to start coming people even wanted an address and they started sending things well it was a tradition on that group to have Christmas socks to wear Christmas socks in support of someone Jessica received a pair of Christmas socks and a card from the very first recipient of Christmas socks who happened to live in Phoenix so not oh, wow. that far away from us. Yes. And I yeah. actually got to meet them in person one time, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so she was just getting all these gifts and everything. And I was getting all these amazing emails and it was just so awesome. And we had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. Quite a bit of family came to town. And um, so it was just really awesome. So then after that, people started saying, okay, what kind of socks do we wear now? Valentine's socks, Easter socks, and then it turned into silly socks. So every time Jessica's health would take a nosedive, which it did frequently. Mm -hmm. And I let people know, well, let's pull out our silly socks for her. And a lot of the original people, you know, including Christmas socks, whatever, polka dot socks, striped socks, whatever. I've 
even had pictures of people, white socks, drawing pictures on them. <laughs> they would send us pictures of them. And so she'd pull through. And I know it wasn't just because of people are wearing silly socks, but no, oh, but it feels it feel was like, like a prayer, mm-hmm. a visual prayer. Um, I had someone even email me and say, do you think that they would sell Christmas socks to a Jewish lady? <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen people, well, well, can I wear, can I wear Hanukkah socks? Hanukkah I'm like, socks. of course, of course. And so um, every time Jessica got sick, though, oh, my gosh, is this going to be it? Mm-hmm. And we'd have to try to emotionally and mentally prepare. And our kids were starting to get older. I always assumed that my kids would be young when she died. So I'd be super busy taking care of them. I'm not saying I wanted her to die young. I just never expected her to reach 22 years of age yeah it was pretty That's awesome amazing That's except amazing. that the last six years of her life were really really super difficult mm-hmm. you had mentioned when we were talking before about someone whose child had lung bleeds she had lung bleeds mm-hmm. she started coughing up blood that terrified her yeah. and you could hear her crying i'm not ready to die choking on the blood she was coughing up and her little brothers would run and hide in the bedroom or out in the family room because Mm -hmm. they were terrified well here comes another major miracle that you didn't even know about (laughs) (laughs) I think I did because I think you said it on another did I say it on one of the other podcasts I did so (laughs) she was put in hospice because all those collaterals were bulging, bursting, waiting to burst and bleed. And so any one of them could be fatal because the coughing could cause more and more and more until she was just hemorrhaging. And so she was placed in a hospice, home hospice. And the hospice nurse came up with the idea of starting morphine therapy. So I had her come with me to Jessica's next pulmonary appointment. And the pulmonologist said, sure we can try it and the theory is that the um, morphine will cause the pulmonary arteries and pulmonary blood vessels to relax so they won't burst and bleed maybe Mm -hmm. preventing one or two or more hopefully lung bleeds well within six months her lung bleeds had completely stopped and she never had another lung bleed and they kicked her out of hospice. <laughs> Thanks for kicking us out. But I know. But anyway, um, so that was amazing. But by that point, her ischemia of the bowels was getting extremely painful. Right. And she's not getting enough blood there. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the deal. She had horrible arteries. Yeah. They had damaged the arteries in her groin from doing catheterizations and she glue grew collaterals around him um obviously her pulmonary artery was really bad well all three arteries that go to the gut were extremely narrow Mm -hmm. 
And when you don't have enough blood getting to the gut, and there's not enough oxygen in the blood that actually gets there for many years, the gut was becoming necrotic and dying. Yeah. And on so, so painful. It's mm-hmm. and her pediatrician had let her go because he was a pediatrician and he was getting older and he was caring for his aging father. And we just didn't get a very good primary care doctor. But the pediatric cardiologist, because, and I don't even know if we do yet, have an adult CHD doctor for congenital mm-hmm. heart defects, because it's so much different than acquired heart disease. Mm-hmm. So they followed her and so did her um, pediatric GI doctor. When we took her in, we kind of figured what, 21 days is the most you can go without eating? Mm-hmm. And he warned us she could um, throw up blood, which she actually had once. And mm-hmm. she would like have these attacks where she would um, have diarrhea and vomiting and really sick. And then it would pass. And then she'd go back. But anyway, so this little girl, as stubborn as she was, Mm-hmm. went 24 not 24 sorry 64 days only having ice chips and some soda pop that's wow. all if we even tried a popsicle she would throw it up and so over time she finally figured out that she was dying mm-hmm. we have a picture of jesus up on her wall and she pointed at him and said, I'm kind of mad at him. I said, how come? Because I don't want to go yet. But I don't want Jesus to be sad that I'm mad at him. And I said, sweetie, he's a big boy. She laughed at that. <laughs> he can handle that. It's okay yeah. that you're kind of upset at him. Yeah. I kind of am too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you are suffering. No, mommy, I'm okay. I want to stay here with you. So we had the talk because I thought, I hope she's not hanging on just because she thinks oh, mm-hmm. mommy can't survive without me, right? Mm-hmm. So we had the talk of, if you see the light, you need to go to the light. And we even had a therapist that was coming to our home come and answer some questions. And she's like, yeah. but. I don't know how to go to the light. And the therapist said, well, if the light is on your right, then you turn right. If it's on your left, then turn left. And if it's right in front of you, just go forward. And she's like, oh, okay. (laughs) It was just that easy. (laughs) But she would just say, I'm okay. And I don't know how much you... You want me to go into this? You know what? I love for you to tell that story of what her dad said to her about the mansions in heaven. You know, it was really hard to watch her suffering so much. However, she had this piece about her Mm -hmm. that I feel that God was comforting her Mm -hmm. and angels were ministering with her. And we had so many precious moments. And so one time daddy was sitting on the side of her bed and I was nearby and he goes, 
Jesse, Heavenly Father's building a mansion in heaven for you. Without missing a beat, she says, can I have a palace instead? (laughs) (laughs) And we both laughed and we said, of course you can have a palace instead. So then she went about talking about how she was going to decorate her palace and how, mommy, I'm going to have a pink room in there for you because I know it's your favorite color and you can come see me when you go to heaven. I said, oh, I'll be there every day. (laughs) Yes, you will. I'll be there every day. So I also told her and something we just real quick, I've got to mention my nephew. Uh Uh-huh. He, he, um, my sister's son passed away two years before Jessica did. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like every two years, something major happened. In 2004, Jessica had lung bleeds. 2006, Marcus was diagnosed with brain cancer. In 2008, Marcus passed away. And in 2010, Jessica passed away. Mm -hmm. And we told her, Marcus will be there for you. Yeah. When Marcus passed away, we couldn't travel up to Utah. Jessica hadn't been able to travel for years. So we had our own little memorial here outside and it kind of went okay. But anyway, Jessica just would cry every night. I can't believe Marcus died. And she'd wake Mm -hmm. up and realize Marcus died. And she knew what that meant. Right. Because we've talked about our belief about life after death Mm -hmm. ever since the kids were little you know it's part of our faith and she just was so sad well one morning she woke up and she was so excited so happy and I'm like well good morning beautiful like I always said and she goes <laughs> yeah mommy mommy Marcus took me to Disneyland in my dream last night oh he did yeah he took me to Disneyland and we went on the highest roller coaster and we put our arms up and we went wee. I said, were you scared? No, Marcus was with me. I wasn't scared. Jesse, did you have your oxygen on? No, I didn't need it. And I said, did you have your wheelchair when you're walking? No, I walked. I didn't need it. I didn't need my glasses either. Uh-huh. And every night after that, he took her to Disneyland. And so my sister and I talked about it and she said, yep, he's helping her to feel safe, Mm -hmm. to get ready and be safe. And so we would tell her, Marcus takes you to Disneyland every night and he will be in the light. He will be the first person you see and just go to him. He'll take good care of you. And so that, that was comforting. Yeah, that is comforting. That is comforting. And she said a couple other really um, cool things to you during that time. Yeah. So the first one I'm going to remind you is about the butterflies. So about the butterflies. So one day I went in there and I would just go into her room and gently kiss her on the cheek or something just because I could. And I knew there would be a day when I couldn't. And Mm -hmm. she would wake up and grab my head and kiss me too. (laughs) Yeah. And so one day when I was doing that, she woke up and she goes, Mommy, I'm going to send you butterflies from heaven, okay? I was kind of taken aback and I'm like, well, sure, Jesse, I'll look for every single one. 
I will look for them. And oh my gosh, has she sent them to me. One day I was having a horrific day. Somebody had really, really hurt my feelings. Yeah. And I was driving in my car, tears streaming down. And this butterfly comes up as if underneath the car, up over the hood, right in front of my sight and over the top of the car. Oh, wow. And I said out loud, Jesse, I see you. Thank you. You're here to comfort me. And I thought, you know, after all those years of me comforting her and staying up all night with her and comforting her emotionally through the physical mm-hmm. and the emotional stuff, she's here for me now. Yeah. She's watching out for you, mama. Yep. She sends daddy butterflies and my middle son told me, he goes, uh-huh. mom, this was just a, f- a few months after Jesse died. He goes, mom, I know that that butterfly thing was between you and Jessica, but I've never seen more butterflies in my life than I have since she died. <laughs> I said, of course, it's not just for me. It's for yeah. everybody. And I've it made friends for everybody all around the world that I even have friends in Australia say, every time I see a butterfly, I say, hi, Jessica. <laughs> I think that's amazing. It's, it is amazing. It's, and one time my mom and sister and I went to take some flowers to Jessica's grave when my mom was in town and a butterfly came flying by and my mom kind of gasped. She goes, oh, Jessica's here. <laughs> and I said, of course she's here. We're here. Where else would yeah. she be? Where else would she be? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh. So there are other other ways that you feel like you feel Jessica around you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably a day or two before she passed away. Mm-hmm. And by that point, and it was just so hard. We were praying for her to be released from her body. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She just kind of opened her eyes and she goes, oh, this is the life. And I'm thinking, child, you can't even hold your head up. How is this the life? Mm-hmm. But instead, in a cheery voice, like I would always try to talk to her, say, what do you mean, Jesse? She goes, I have a family who loves me and they love me too. And she fell back oh. asleep with a smile on her face. She knew she was loved. She knew what was most important. Mm-hmm. We have that on her headstone. This is the life. I have a family who loves me and they love me too. And I love oh. them too. Yeah. And I love them too. Oh, I love that. So, oh yeah, that's just, she was so wise, so mm-hmm. wise in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So how do you kind of help spread that now? Because I know you've said she had a lot to teach the world uh, when she, during her she, life. She and she's did. still teaching the world, but now she's teaching the world through you. So yes. let's talk about that a little bit about you are doing now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, before it was through me because she wasn't on the internet. It was mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's true. But, but locally, mm-hmm. all the therapists, all the doctors, all the, everybody that she saw, everybody commented on the love and 
that they felt and happiness and joyous. And even my dad would say, I don't know anybody who has as difficult a life as Jessica, nor do I know anyone who loves life more than Jessica. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I, as you had mentioned, I'm on the podcast. You said behind the scenes. Well, I was in front of the scenes three times. <laughs> right, right. I know. I know. I'm joking. I'm joking. And and I still keep in touch with a lot of the heart community, mm-hmm. the bereaved community. I mean, I'm an artist. I do crafting. I put her everything. Yeah. I even have my own little jewelry business and. I have every single one of the butterfly charms that we've been in office. I have all the butterflies and I've been gifted so many butterflies. Somebody that knows me, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll see a butterfly. Oh, Nancy needs this and they'll give it to me. (laughs) It's so awesome. Uh For example, I had major surgery a few years ago Mm -hmm. in 2015 And in the recovery room, there was a picture and there was a butterfly on it. And I asked them, do all the recovery rooms have butterflies? Oh, no, just this one. (laughs) Yep. She's with me. She's with me. Of course she is. Of course she is. I just, (sighs) my sister was saying, the one whose son passed away, Jessica wanted to be with you every second and every day. And she would. I'd leave to go grocery shopping or even just to run one little short errand. She would call me, mommy, I need you. I'm like, your home health aid is there. Daddy's there. (laughs) You know, somebody's there. (laughs) You don't really, honey. She needed me (laughs) 24-7. And so my sister said, where else would she be? Right. With you. When I went and, and, uh, oh, I love going to the craft stores. And when she was healthy enough, occasionally I would take her. And of course, I'd have to load the wheelchair, the oxygen and all the whole shebang. She'd love looking at all these different things and she could choose something. Or Mm -hmm. if I'd go out, she'd say, mommy, bring me a surprise. (laughs) She couldn't run and play she couldn't ride a bike she couldn't even swing on the swings very high or for very long right she couldn't do all these things that her brothers and all her friends could do so Mm -hmm. i'd bring her a little surprise i found recently a whole bunch of surprises (laughs) did you i did and so i have for anyone watching the video portion (laughs) contact nancy you can see (laughs) Her craft room behind her and all of the amazingness behind her that she, she helps create. She thought it was too cluttery for the screen, but Extremely I think it's amazing. Cluttered. I love it. I love to see it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, she loved pink and yellow. For those watching the video, here's a oh, butterfly. Oh, yes. I have beautiful. almost all the butterfly paper craft punches <laughs> ever made <laughs> well I just love that because it's really a part of your healing isn't it it I mean, really has really been something that here's has a, helped you here's another one and she always loved hearts 
And this has a yeah. bunch of hearts. And this is a little girl holding a heart. Yeah. And wow. oh, we had so much in common. She was my mini me. <laughs> yes. And we would do yes. little crafts together. And Carl, his, my husband, took a couple of pictures of us. And I'd go to a scrapping, scrapbooking retreat every summer. And mm -hmm. um, he would take her and she could stay for a couple of hours. And she would help me with a tape runner. And, and then after about 10 minutes, she was done and play her Game Boy. But she wanted <laughs> to be with was. mommy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Oh. Well, thank you so much for sharing Jessie with us today. Oh, I just you're love welcome. learning about her and what you've done now since. She's just really an inspiring little girl. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I, And it has been very healing to be the producer and a guest and the graphic artist <laughs> for, for the, the podcast. podcast. It's yes. amazing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Working with Michael and Anna has been really, really, I don't know, life-saving. Uh -huh. I mean, there are times that I get up and I'm in a bad mood and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do a meeting today. But then I talk talking to him and you know, Michael, he loves to mm -hmm. joke. And we, I end up in a really good mood. And with Anna, we get a lot of work done. <laughs> If it weren't for Anna, we probably wouldn't get any work done. <laughs> oh. But no, it's wonderful. And um, I want to thank you again for coming on our podcast. Oh, absolutely. It we really enjoyed having you. Yeah. And I encourage all of my listeners again, if you haven't gone to Bereaved But Still Me and listened, um, go ahead and do so. I just think they do just such an amazing job. So there's just once a month. So not quite as much of a time commitment for a listener as mine every week. And we're uh, only so, half hour. And they're only a half an hour too. So it's way See, less listen. of a time commitment than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you so much, Nancy. And I look forward to working with you guys more and more oh, uh, with your too. podcast as well. Oh, definitely. And you too. For listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.